Too many who know the angles Uncover and untangle All the questions and the webs left out to tangle be in Well, you know what truly doesn't count is one's gallbladder, because I am reporting to you today without a gallbladder. So if, if, if I sound pained throughout tonight's show, I am recovering from a pretty serious surgery. And here I am to talk Spider-Man, the only true cure to what ails me, which is a missing organ and muscle that were cut up to remove it. So good times. Well, anyway, everybody, welcome to the Amazing Spider Talk, the show where two fans and collectors uncover the strange, fun, and fascinating history of the Spider-Man comic universe. Thanks for joining us for this review episode of the all-new Amazing Spider Talk. So today on the show, gallbladderless Dan and I are going to be discussing Amazing Spider-Man, The Sins of Norman Osborn, number one, written by Nick Spencer, with art by Federico uh, Vincentini. I probably said that wrong. I'm sorry. Colors by Edgar Delgado. Letters by VCs Joe Caramanga. And a cover by Ryan Otley and Nathan Fairbairn. Fairbairn. Baron. How do you say that one too, Dan? I, well, I am just, woo. Woo. I think you were pretty close. Okay. This issue was first released on September 16th, 2020. What's new? Mark, I'm, I'm excited to talk to you, to you about this. I'm curious, you know, what if it was my gallbladder that was really at the heart of all of my astute critical analysis? I guess we're going to find out if 99% of Dan Gavazdin still measures up. We're talking about whether issues count or not uh, at the opening of this episode. And here we've got what, what ostensibly seems like an issue of Amazing Spider-Man but it's it, it's a new number one for the sins of Norman Osborn, and Mark, I got I got to start off with this by saying like, why isn't this just an issue of Amazing Spider-Man? It just seems like any other issue. My answer to that would be Dan is because they want to reveal very big things in issue eight fifty and in issue volume five number fifty. And if they released this issue in the normal numbering, they would have screwed everything up. I mean, of course, you could say, well, why didn't you just do one less issue on Gog? 
or on Spider-Man 2099, and you wouldn't have this problem. Am I right? <laughs> it's a very astute thing that you're uh, you're picking up here, Mark. I mean, my guess is probably that maybe they thought they could get this in in less issues and ended up going longer than than they originally planned. But like, there's so many moving pieces in this. I'm sure you could remove some stuff. Like, there's a lot of things that were revealed in this issue, but I don't feel like the plot moved all that much forward that a couple of extra pages in a previous issue couldn't really do. And I like this issue. I, I don't think it's all of all that earth shattering that you couldn't kind of squeeze it in a little bit. Yeah. Like a lot of new stuff is kind of thrown out there, but like I felt, I feel narratively as some of these issues recently have done, this kind of meanders a little bit and it's like, I, it's not quite as structurally weird as some of the other sins issues that we've critiqued have been, but like, I don't know. I wasn't in love with how this structurally played out and I wasn't in love with all of the new stuff that's, I feel now kind of being flung out in very quick succession. So I, I mean, it, it both meanders, but also just feels jam packed. I know that sounds probably contradictory, but like, does that make sense to you? Yeah, sure. Um, you know, we've kind of got two big overarching plots, which is, the stuff with Peter and Norman, and then the stuff with all of the spiders are also known as here as the order of the web, because we needed another archaic term and, for this. And they, uh, even, and they even make fun of it. But like, that still doesn't mean it doesn't sound stupid. <laughs> like, 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 like pointing out that your own name is stupid still doesn't mean like, oh, do we have to keep calling the Well, you know, at least we didn't read it and get secret scrolls today, Dan. Yeah, no, as long as we don't get to that depth. You know, it's funny. I was seeing this issue sell for like higher prices on the speculator market because they saw it as the origin of the order of the web, uh, which is just absurd. And and may maybe there's something to it about like that it is kind of a regular issue of Amazing Spider-Man, but probably had a lower print run because it's this kind of weird B title that nobody ordered. So it'll probably become desired in some way if you are a collector of this complete story. And there's a couple of reveals and kind of big shifts in Spidey lore. Or I guess like one really kind of, I guess you could call it a major one. But the, the one thing that doesn't really move that far forward is this stuff with the order of the web. They're kind of stalling for time to kind of get us back to where we were at the end of the previous issue. But there are some interesting wrinkles here. What do you think of some of this stuff with all the spider people outside of naming themselves. I don't know if they really, like you say, advanced all that much in terms of their, their story here. I mean, I feel like they were even kind of making note at one point where they were like, well, why don't we just talk to him? And they're like, well, we already did that. And it's like, yeah. So what are you like? I'm still kind of like, what are you actually doing to stop Peter Parker from saving Norman Osborn? Like, I feel like they're, they're, <laughs> they're just kind of, pontificating about it and you know having these powwows with each other and you know i kind of like that gwen and of course it's gwen which makes it even more interesting is like the odd uh spider out if you will in terms of like not really wanting to step in and stop peter here but like it, it's just it seems like a lot of talk and no action and and just the general involvement and i think like when when this whole thing was teased, oh man, 
Because I even remember the issue where it happened and you and I were like, oh, God, now they're bringing in Miles and Gwen and Spider-Woman. And, uh, you know what I mean? Like, it was just like, here we go. Here here comes, like, you know, the, the it's going to be like Spider-Verse, but with whatever this is, with Kindred. And I still don't feel any differently about that. I still feel that their role kind of plays into what I was saying a few review episodes ago where it's like, okay, I'm assuming at some point when everything is revealed, this is, it's going to make total sense that they're here or maybe it won't, but like in Nick Spencer's head, it makes sense that they're here. But like at this point, I'm still just like, this is just one more, one more ball in the air. And I don't know if I necessarily understand why they, they're being thrown in outside of making this feel more eventish, you know? Yeah, and I I understand the kind of moral question they're meant to represent, like you know they're the the counterweight to to Peter, but I think this is really just kind of all a part of why Amazing Spider-Man is such a difficult book these days. Whether that is to write or really be handled correctly, is that half of Marvel's line is Spider books now, and so these big events have to tie in and have to advertise these characters and get someone to go pick up Gwen's book or Miles' book. And in terms of tie-ins, like, this is more elegant than Thor flying by and being like, read my book. And we're not getting, like, you know, a bunch of tie-ins to, like, Ultimatum or whatever in Miles' book and the, like, Gwen clones from Gwen's book and all the mess that's going on there with the Jackal. So I appreciate that that's not like, you know, shoehorned in here, but yeah, they, they do feel like one more ball to juggle and you wonder if they're all going to be remembered to be caught at some point, you know, like you, you add more balls and then you ditch old balls. You still have the same number of balls, but you're, you're kind of losing your, now I'm getting down this whole like ball metaphor and this is no good. I think, I think this um, is your gallbladder talking, Dan, I think, or you know, <laughs> you're, you're worried about things not being there anymore. Things what are you insinuating? Mark? I don't know, Dan. I, I'm just saying, <laughs> no, I, I, I absolutely agree with you. I mean, like, you know, like, you know, it's, it's the old Chekhovian gun situation, you know, like, we, we have a lot of guns being being lined up and ready to fire. And, you know, odds are when you have this much going on, you're going to miss miss one or two at the end of the day. And hopefully that it's not so consequential where you're just like, wow, that was a waste of time. You know, at least with this, like, you know, you know, I was kind of last issue thinking to myself, well, why the hell do all these spider people care you know what i mean it's peter's life it's these are peter's enemies why do they care and of course we learn in this issue the reason why they care is that they've all had dreams or visions or however you want to call it of peter dying at the hands of norman all but one who had a different dream and of course that's gwen uh we could talk about what she dreamt about in in a second as well but you know i guess that's the that's that's something that ties us together it's, if this feels clunky to me, I mean, I, I don't know. Like, I, I, I feel like this, this is a very forced plot point right now. I, 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 I'm not saying that they wouldn't be concerned if they all had a similar dream of their friend dying, but like, I don't know. It just feels weird. I, am I, am I making sense at all? Yeah, you are. Uh, for me, I think this all has just kind of ramped up so quickly. You know, like we've not experienced these people having these dreams. There's just a lot of stuff going on off page, you know, like and 
And it just makes the stakes feel kind of artificial. Like they're kind of being made up as they go along. Like how this story has evolved from being like just a Sin Eater story to now Norman Osborn is involved. And, you know, if you're reading Ravencroft, maybe that felt natural. But within the pages of this book, it felt kind of forced. And there's a bunch of things like that where things just could continue to escalate. But I don't know that the work has been done in the actual pages of Amazing Spider-Man to kind of get us there. Instead, we were spending all this time on these other little stories, whether that be about like the, you know, devices that can tell the future and all that stuff. And if this is the story that we were building to, I feel like we could maybe have like gotten there a little more organically than we are here. I'm still kind of on board. I, 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 for me, it's all about, does this stick the landing? And if it sticks the landing, then I feel like you can kind of, um, justify the journey a, li- a little bit here because it is still being handled. I think artfully enough for in the pages of like superhero comics. So let's talk about the Gwen dream sequence. Cause I think it's the most interesting, like each one of these characters has a dream sequence where Peter dies in a way that's like associated with their own world. So like Miles sees him, you know, dying in Queens and spider woman sees him dying in the Avengers mansion and silk sees him dying. What, uh, you know, where they both got their powers back with the isotopic generator thing, the genome device. But Gwen's is, you know, also attributed to her. And that is the realm of the Brooklyn slash Queensboro bridge or whatever you want to say uh, the bridge is. And there's a shadowy figure that I think we're meant to assume is the goblin. Did you have any thought about this? Because it's interesting because this character is, is horned. That's like the one really like defining characteristic. Does that strike any chord for you? Is there a person that you think that that we're not seeing that identity for a reason? You know, I actually kind of thought initially when I saw the silhouette, I was like, is that ultimate green goblin? But no, it's not, it's not quite that either. Right. I mean, this is, this seems to be a different character altogether. In terms of goblins, I was thinking about menace, like menace has horns, but the body type does not suggest menace. It suggests like a man, like, you know, uh, you know, like a, it's a, it's, it's a man's body. Whoever this character is, I don't think we've met them in this form yet. That's what interesting. I, I, I think this is meant to be ambiguous and, you know, whatever, whatever the connection to Kindred, I think it'll come forward. But I, yeah, my, my, my theory is that it's whatever, whoever or whatever, it's, we have not met it in this form. I don't think we're meant to recognize this as something yet. Yeah, I think you're probably right. I thought that the Queensboro slash Brooklyn Bridge touch was a nice like reversal. Like I, I, I don't know that I've seen a image in a Spider-Man book where it's Gwen on top of the bridge seeing Peter get thrown off. And I thought that was really nice. Yeah, yeah. And then Gwen had, I think, probably the the hint, hint, wink, wink, nudge, nudge line of the book. Which was, oh, yeah, no kidding. <laughs> which was of Peter. He also knows you can't make a deal with the devil and not expect to pay the price. Again, for anyone who listened to our Patreon speculation episode, I, I'm starting to feel more and more confident about my theory here, Dan. All right. Well, uh, fire up that kindred alarm, and uh, and I think I think you're you're right. I don't think that the devil talk is anything altogether subtle. As she pulls a John Woo in that panel and is amongst doves 
Yeah, no, I mean, Gwen is interesting in, in this book. They kind of get her to reluctantly go along with them, but I suspect that there's more plot developments coming in the realm of Gwen as we round a- issue 850. I mean, I suspect, you know, this is separate from Kindred or maybe related. I suspect that the character roster in the pages of Amazing Spider-Man is about to undergo a major reshuffling. Whether that means moving Norman Osborn off the field permanently or bringing back Gwen Stacy or something, I really think that there is a character resurrection or major character death that is coming. And I know that's kind of lame because it's an, it's a 50th issue or a hundredth issue. And those things tend to happen. But I do think that the, this book is kind of telegraphing that like the chess pieces are about to get shuffled in some way. I'm assuming it's not Peter since like some of the solicited covers still seem to be showing Peter going forward. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I don't think they're going to pull that trick again so soon to superior, but you never know. So speaking of kind of like reshuffled continuity and stuff like that, I still have a ton of questions about Norman Osborn in this book. Like if there was ever something that needed to be cleaned up, it's like, what is going on with Norman Osborn? Like, does he know because this book doesn't really suggest one way or the other. Does he know that Spidey is Peter? Does he remember that? I don't know. Is he actually still crazy? Because here he seems pretty rational and he has been given a clean bill of health, so to speak. But he also references like he remembers Gwen's death, which is another kind of call out to that. He makes reference to that and he still has superpowers. So he's still got the memories of the goblin and the powers of the goblin, but does he know it's Peter? It's very unclear here. And and I'm trying to remember, were you the one who, well, I shouldn't say, are you the one? I know you did, but I'm like, I'm trying to remember exactly what this is in reference to where I don't know if it was Sin Eater or someone else that, that, you know, could, could something be going on where, where Norman finally found his sanity and this is what we're seeing. You know what I mean? Like, you know, either through the power of the Sin Eater, like maybe the Sin Eater has already gotten to him. I don't know. You know what I mean? I, I'm just trying to think. It's very odd because he does seem rather rational, but he's still, like you said, has his goblin powers and seems to dislike Spider-Man greatly. But like, I don't know. Like you, the whole ending of 800 does not seem to be referenced at all it's just kind of crazy to me you'd think like if he did remember well first of all i don't think that he would come back remembering that and then just go work at ravencroft and not hunt peter down considering that was his like main goal around issue 800 so i'm gonna assume he doesn't know but that seems like a strange thing to not really ever address in the pages of this book if you're gonna bring norman back I guess we'll find out, I'm sure, in the next issue or so. But it's something that I'd like cleared up. I mean, and I guess this goes to like the problem with, first of all, there being no editor's notes in the past few issues about like things that are happening in others' books. Like I I imagine you were reading this issue, Mark, and you turned the page and Ashley Kafka was alive again. That killed me. And you were like, what the hell? Yeah. And is she showing up in other books? Is that she in Ravencroft or something or... Yeah, she's in the Ravencroft book and you find out that it's not the clone from the clone conspiracy version of her. It's another clone from the clone conspiracy version of her. So she's back. And But it's a clone. I don't know. Like 
Yeah, it's a clone, but they don't really, I mean, they kind of make a joke about it here, but not enough. And in my mind, if you're going to do these like big character reversals, you at least should tell us where to find them. I don't think Ravencroft is selling that well. I mean, the title of the book is Ravencroft. How big of an audience could there be for that book? That book is really silly. I'm just going to say it like, do you know that Roderick Kingsley is working at Ravencroft simultaneously to the events of this? What? Yeah, exactly. I, I, um, is that book still even coming out right now? Or is that like, has that book been kind of holded up from pandemic stuff? I'm still catching up on Marvel Unlimited with it. So I'm not entirely sure because I didn't even pick it up. You know, like it was just a Ravencroft book. So I think I'm like three issues in, but I know that like there's another reveal. So like also in Ravencroft right now is the Punisher. He's been locked in a cell and there's a mystery of who's in that cell. So there's all these like plot beats from Amazing Spider-Man and Ravencroft that are very similar to each other. Right. I don't know it's one of those things again where it's like is the editor really paying attention here like this could be really smoothed out and made a lot easier for people if you're going to do these big things like have Norman be cleaned of his insanity maybe do it in Amazing Spider-Man it reminds me of the handling of the Jonah thing in Spectacular where it's like hey this is the biggest plot change in all the Spider-Man's universe and it's happening in a B book and we're not going to reference it until it suddenly becomes a major plot point in Amazing Spider-Man it is weird how they're splitting these things up and the Norman Osborn thing remains a big question mark for me. All right. So in addition to Dr. Kafka coming back, or, I mean, you've seen her back in other books, but uh, in addition, we've had some other like reveals and, and kind of character reintroductions here, both of which kind of confused me in terms of how they were. And this is where I feel like narratively the structure was off. So we have uh, the first one I'm referencing, you know, the sin eater is, you know, basically praying at the altar, looking for a sign from presumably kindred about what his purpose is. And so, and this cloaked person comes forward and it ends up being Martin Lee, a.k.a. Mr. Negative. And what was your takeaway from this? Well, first, I was really wrong. I thought it was the lizard. And, and I'm going to say this and it's going to sound kind of like a cheap critique which is like, I didn't get what I wanted, so I don't like it. I, it's not that I don't like the Martin Lee thing. I think it's actually interesting because, you know, you got a character that has like an evil side and a, and a good side and removing that evil side could maybe make Martin Lee an interesting character, especially since I think Mr. Negative has kind of been mishandled. Like Dan Slott came up with a really interesting direction to go for him when he was first introduced. And then we kind of abandoned that whole idea of the guy that doesn't know about his other side over the years. And so maybe this will give him a new lease on life. But Martin Lee has not been a part of Nick Spencer's book at all. So like this reveal felt really out of nowhere. I mean, I get it. He's part of Spider-Man's universe. But to me, like the lizard thing and the reason I put it forward was because it felt uh, in inherently consistent with the story that Nick Spencer is telling. And to bring in Martin Lee out of nowhere to an already crowded story to me, it was kind of like, oh, great, another another ball to juggle. Even if it does allow for cool powers for the Sin Eater, it just felt like, oh, I couldn't have guessed it because why would you have guessed that? Certainly in the structure of a mystery, there was no way to come to that conclusion. And so it, to me, it's poorly done. But even if it's like, oh, OK, you know, it makes sense. And, and 
I, I, I have to ask, and I'm, I'm demonstrating my lack of uh, zeitgeist awareness here. I know that Mr. Negative was a character in the, the Spider-Man PS4 game. I know that there's this PS5 game, well, PS5 system and a new game coming out. Is Mr. Negative going to be in that as well? I don't think so. N- not from what they've teased. And he ended up being kind of like a B-level villain in the last game and I believe was dispatched by the end of the game. Okay, I just didn't know if like that was part of the reason why they were like trying to just randomly bring, you know, like, hey, kids, you know that character from that video game you like? <laughs> well, we got him here in the comics. He's back. I think I think the video game upped his cachet considerably and I like how he was handled in the game. So like, I wonder if this is maybe an attempt to try to reset him to get him to be, to be representative of that character. But I, I don't think it's any kind of like marketing crossover because the, the only villain we really know about in the new game is the tinkerer. And it's a, like, a, it's a female version of the tinkerer. So who knows? So any kind of crossover like that seems a little premature, especially considering that this book was supposed to come out, I think like what, two or three months ago and it was delayed. So we wouldn't even have any clue of that stuff at this point. But in addition to Mr. Negative, when we talk about out of left field reveals, we have a yet another one. And I think this will now mark his third storyline in Spider-Man history. And that, of course, is who do we see is a prisoner in the cell. And like it's kind of like Osborne's secret weapon until it turns out that the senator has already gotten to him. Well, it's funny because I listened back to our uh, issue 46 review where we first guessed at who was in the cell. And the first person I said was, well, it's not the juggernaut. And (laughs) turns out it was the juggernaut. So I was way wrong. And to me, it's like, I don't know what the juggernaut has anything to do with this story. Like, I mean, he looks great. I mean, you know, like, (laughs) yeah, yeah, he did. And the lead up was kind of fun where they're like, all you have to do is point him in a direction. And I was like, oh, well, it's the juggernaut. And it seems like the Sin Eater stole his powers like straight away by shooting him with his gun. If that's how that works with the juggernaut, we'll find out. So we're going to have like a, you know, the, 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 what's the name of the stone in the juggernaut's helmet? I don't even know, but he's going to have the powers of that, I imagine. Well, yeah. Um, and so I guess, I mean, you know, if you're, if you're saying, yeah, it's out of nowhere, why are we bringing the juggernaut in? It's just, it's just upping, upping the ante and turning the screw more against Spider-Man. Cause now, I mean, obviously it's kind of like the Sin Eater is, con- is consisting of all of his most brutal enemies at this point. I mean, obviously nothing can stop the juggernaut, which we will talk about in great length in our next season. I'm sure. I mean, it's, you know, the, one of the most famous Spider-Man overcoming the odds story. It is, I mean, to me, it is the Spider-Man overcoming the odds stories, at least in terms of him versus a villain. I guess that's why we're getting them, just to kind of do a callback to that and, and just make the make the odds all the more precarious against him and and, and forcing this, this team up with Norman Osborn. Not that I'm trying to jump too far ahead here, but, I mean, we're, we're getting towards the end anyway, so. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I don't want to go down this kind of, like, level of critical analysis at this point to go that deep, but, like, it is one of the frustrating things about Nick Spencer's run is that so much of it feels like callbacks. And I know we constantly bring up the interview that we did with him where he said he read all the issues and you really get a sense that he's kind of playing the hits a little bit while doing some new things. But at a certain point, like if all you're really doing is like a lot of nostalgia stuff, the book, the book kind of dies a little bit 
You, you know, like if, if all Spider-Man has now is to look backwards, then I think it's in really a really tough place. And, you know, between Sin Eater and all this other and, and Norman Osborn and all this stuff, like none of it feels terribly new. And I think that's what's exciting about Kindred, but it's also been delayed for so long. And I think we're I'm at least re- really ready to be surprised by a new thing like the juggernaut. Fine. OK, there's a big guy in a room and it's the juggernaut. Like the reason I said it wasn't that is because it seemed like obvious that the big guy in a room would be the juggernaut in a way, but only obvious in a, in a way that's like only oriented around nostalgia, which is we need a big guy. So it's going to be the juggernaut. It doesn't have anything to do with our story. It's just Spider-Man fought juggernaut a couple times and people like those stories. So we're repeating it again. Yeah. And, I, and you're right. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm with you. I don't want to go too deep into this, but yeah, it's, it, it, it is, it's nostalgia, but like, I don't know. It's kind of like, I don't want to say the worst of nostalgia, but like, no, it's, it's, no. it's, it's very, super, it's very superficial nostalgia. I feel like, yeah. I mean, not, I mean, nostalgia has a superficial quality to it anyway. Sometimes when it comes to stuff like this, you are intentionally leaning on it because you're, you're trying to kind of bring people in who maybe have lapsed out or, you know, have disengaged because I mean, we've talked about, we, we talked about this with the scene eater who outside of like the people who revere those stories from the eighties really cares who the sin eater is at this point. I mean, newer readers don't, it's not like there's a real revenue generating reason to kind of drive people to those old stories right now. You know what I mean? (laughs) Like you can just read them online, you know, whatever, read them on the unlimited, I guess. I mean, you know, but it's not like they're trying to bring the sin eater back to sell Marvel unlimited subscriptions. And I think with the juggernaut here, it's kind of like, Again, I go back to the word superficial. It's just like, okay, well, we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna throw this throw this in there now because hey, this is like a great story and the Roger Store run and you know, but like like you said, what's the what's the actual purpose here? You know, like it's not like it's Moreland or something where it's like it's a Spider Man villain, but like, you know, he only comes out, you know, a couple of times a decade to really screw with Spider Man. You know what I mean? Like so I don't know. It just it it, it, it feels kinda hollow and cheap. The art looks great with him. I think I like to me like the juggernaut panels were my favorite of the whole book. I don't know how you feel about that. I just thought that the art was really fun overall. Like this guy, Federico Vincenz and Vincentini. I'm um, see, I'm going to mess that up too. I thought this guy was like r- real, like a uh, out of nowhere star. Like I thought his pages had a lot of character, you know, I'm looking, you know, looking at, at them now and there was just a lot of like movement and fun and, it, you know, it reminded me of like Otley a lot. And I feel like this guy bring him in as a, you know, a, a pinch hitter. We've got a whole bunch of these pinch hitters on this book. I thought this guy had a real kind of like flair for the events going on in this book and Spider-Man's world. I liked his depiction of everybody. I'm kind of eager to see what his Green Goblin would look like, but I don't know that we're going to get it. But I thought his stuff was really, really quite fun. And I thought all the interplay between Peter and Norman was fun too. Even if I'm a little up in the air about all of it, like I thought that the characters were well represented and brought to life on the page with the artwork really well, you know, even just them fighting over their shared history and going into that lab with all the stuff down in the basement. I mean, there's a lot of good stuff going on there that was visually exciting for me. And that was fun. I'm eager to see them team up 
the setup was was pretty good. I I, I believe it, even if I you know don't know that Spider Man would trust this guy altogether. Right, um, right. I, I agreed, but like I mean, you've been calling this I think for it, for three or four issues now, and obviously your 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 prediction was spot on in terms of the Spider Man Norman alliance. So I mean, you know, it, it, you know, it 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 should be interesting at the very least. I do have a soft spot for you know enemies who have to become friends for you know a contrived situation i mean in this case the contrived situation is their survival so maybe not that contrived it should be fun any other big points you want to hit on this issue dan or do you want to get to grades well really quickly back to kind of square off our discussion about nostalgia like for me the core stuff with like the sin eater and like his relationship to kindred and his like siege on this on this uh, jail and Peter and Norman's relationship, that stuff all works. The core of this story to me works like I like the moral thing and it doesn't feel entirely nostalgic because they're doing something new with these characters. And that's interesting to me, like Spider-Man and Norman teaming up. I don't know that I've ever seen that before. And I'm excited to check that out. And that's what's keeping me excited. There's even um, this implication of like Norman has a map of Empire State down in his lab and he's planning something regarding that. And that has me excited because that gets me back to my like theory about who was in the, the cell. I wonder if Norman is trying to use the isotopic generator thing to split his personality. I'm going to stick with that theory about what he might want from Empire State. There's something going on there. And and that actually has me a little bit excited as that kind of little throwaway mystery. Very good. All right. So what do you you want to give this a grade? Yeah, sure. I thought this was a you know a solid B. I'm gonna you know, I'm gonna be a little lower than you. I'm gonna say C plus. Like I said, there it, it still felt like you know throwing these things in there like the Kafka stuff, the Juggernaut, Mister Negative. Like like I just feel like we were throwing things in there, but still kind of meandering about with it. Like, you know, the, the clarity of it was not quite there, but it was an enjoyable story. I mean, like, you know, it's not like I thought it was badly done. It's just like it, it was just lacking in some areas for me. You're shifting me to a B minus. Uh, I'm I'm changing my vote. I, I B minus. All right. B minus. There we You're go. Right. There we go. Right. All right. It's a little sloppy. All right. All right. Well, there we go. All right, Mark, why don't you take us home? Will do. Well, of course, it is now that time, that time for all the good things, mainly our show, to come to an end. So we want to say thank you to you, the listeners and viewers, for tuning in to this episode of The Amazing Spider Talk. Yeah, this episode was edited by Rick Coast with production support from Andy Myers. Our artwork comes handcrafted by artists Ron Friends, Sal Busema, and Ray Sumzer. And our theme songs were produced by Ryland Bojack, Tony Thaxton, and Spider Madge. This episode was originally released on Patreon as a live stream hangout. So hi, all of our live streamers. And uh, thanks for coming back when this comic was first originally released. So if you want to help support our show's continued existence and these reviews while joining us on the live stream, why not head on over to our Patreon and sign up and join us? But Mark, until we get a new volume of Marvel Team Up, all about Norman Osborn, what is our motto? That motto is, with great, great podcasts, there must also come the amazing Spider Talk. Don't, don't miss the next installment.